We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. WinBet.com for all of your sports wagering needs. Nick Whalen joined as usual by Alex Barutha. Uh, Alex, we have a bit of a grab bag episode. This is the absolute deadest period of the NBA calendar. Uh, although we have been, you know, getting some news items sprinkled in here and there. Lamarcus Aldridge cleared to play. Paul Millsap joining the Brooklyn Nets. Uh, a little under a week ago, we had the Laurie Markkinen uh, sign and trade go down. We'll get into that a little bit. Uh, but first and foremost, the news item, I think, on everyone's mind, Kanye West's album, Donda, has officially arrived. Uh, it's been, what, like five days now? Uh, we've each had some time to to reflect on the 47 tracks that are included on this album. Uh, you and I are both far from uh, music critics. Uh, I guess I don't want to speak from you. I'm not a music critic at all. Um, but just out of curiosity, what, what was your take on, on I, I guess, what, what most are, are agreeing is probably the best Kanye album since Life of Pablo? I think that's true. Um, I feel like to me, okay, first of all, it actually had 27 songs on it, right? You, I mean, saying 47. Uh, uh, that's correct. Yes. Yes. But 27 is like, was initially a bad sign in my opinion. Like I, how many 20 saw 27 song albums actually like deliver. I feel like usually that's a sign of someone not knowing what songs are good, what songs are bad or not yes. having anyone in their corner being like, Hey man, can we like cut out half this album? Um, ultimately, like that's kind of my whole critique of the album is just like, I think it's too long. I think it's really just kind of unpolished. Like it feels like it's like, it, it almost feels like it's still a work in progress, which I guess is Kanye's whole thing at this point. Like you, you started with the life of Pablo, which was kind of a work in progress when it dropped. Although I feel like that's a lot more polished. Um, it just felt very like average. And like most of it to me is, really forgettable 
Um, like there are maybe like 20 songs in this album that I will never think about again. Yes, that that's pretty much exactly how I feel. I, I think it's it's the best Kanye album since Life of Pablo by default, because the the two in between that have been pretty much irrelevant. I, I think especially you know judging on the Kanye scale, which is much different than most other artists. Um, when you set the bar as high as he did with like the first five albums, or you know I don't even know how many, counting them up as we speak, like the first like six basically, you know you 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 kind of are operating on a different scale going forward. So like. I go into listening to this album with like guarded high expectations. Like I, I wasn't like, Oh right. hell yeah. 27 songs. These are all going to be great because it's <laughs> Kanye West. You know, if he had put out a 27 song album in like 2008, that would have been great. Uh, but I, I think you have to adjust your expectations for uh, which, which era of Kanye West we're currently in, which is uh, probably not his peak era. No. And I also felt like there were a lot of, to me, it's felt like, an album that he produced with a lot of features on it that he also happened to rap on. Um, like, I felt like it was kind of devoid of Kanye's personality to some extent, um, which is very bizarre because so many of his albums, I feel like are just like, it's they're like Kanye albums. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the most devastating part of it for me is I went back and listened to a lot of other Kanye albums and specifically went back and like sat down and listened to Yeezus which is like a 12 song album uh, that is pretty controversial. I would say just in terms of like love it or hate it. And I felt like going back and listening to Yeezus that that was a like way better album than Donda. Um, like as for all of its flaws, it's just, it felt very Kanye. Um, did not think I would ever like consider Yeezus to be one of <laughs> Kanye's like best albums, but yeah, well, I mean, if, if you're just taking the last decade into account, it's very much in consideration. That one right. only had 10 songs, right? I think that was part of it. Like, if you just, if you eliminated the 20 songs that I will never listen to again from Donda, <laughs> then it's then it's like a really good, you know, like EP, essentially. Um, but yeah, I don't know. There's way too much filler. Uh, I, I listened to it in, in the car with my girlfriend when we were driving on Sunday. And she was just, she, she doesn't like rap music as much as I do. I mean, she she's into it, was, was excited to listen. And I would say at least two thirds of the song, she was just hitting the skip button within like 20 seconds. I mean, I'm a Kanye fan and I was kind of doing that. I was yeah. like skipping like 15 seconds ahead in the song or like, and like, are we like, are we going to do something with this or yeah. not? And most of the time it was like, no, we are not going to do anything right. with this. I, I didn't have like a full day to dedicate to a listening party here for myself. <laughs> exactly. All right. Uh, we, we will continue to offer, um, music reviews as Kanye West puts out albums in the future. We, we do have a Drake album coming tonight. Um, I, I think I care about that one a lot more than you do, um, but, but hopefully that delivers a little bit more than the Kanye one. What do you say we talk NBA basketball? Sure, let's do it. I want to start with a question. How many teams can legitimately win the NBA title in 2022? Uh, well, the Lakers, the Nets... Uh, I think the Bucks are definitely in there. Philly has to be in consideration. I know the Ben Simmons situation is up in the air, but just considering they have Joel Embiid, that's good enough for me to consider them a contender. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think, I think if you want to be like very, um, I think you could say that it's just the Nets and the Lakers. Like, I think if you want to be like very cut out all the the room, all the wiggle room. You could say that. And if you wanted to go deeper, you could maybe say like five to six. I mean, I think Nets, Lakers, Bucks, Warriors, 
Suns, Jazz, 76ers. I'm not sure I'd go any farther than that. I, I agree with the Nets and Lakers only point if you could turn off injuries. If you could turn off injuries, right. yes. I, I think that is like almost guaranteed to be the matchup that we would get in the finals. So I, I, I think you're right there. But I, I also think it would be foolish to say that it's only those two teams based on what we just saw happen a year ago um, with, with both of those teams being injured. So, I mean, I, I think you have to open it up to uh, – I, I have seven teams on my list. I have Philly, Brooklyn, Milwaukee, Miami in the east, and then I have Phoenix, the Lakers, and the Warriors in the west. I, I, I feel like is Utah going to be better than it was last year, a, a team that could not even get out of round two against the Clippers without Kawhi Leonard? Like I, I feel like I saw all I needed to see, and yes, you, you'll probably get a healthier Mike Conley, maybe, uh, but other than that, like I didn't feel like they made – any sort of move that makes me feel differently about them. Um, and they, they kind of showed who they were. I, I feel like in that second round, like there's, I, I don't, I don't know why I should believe in Utah more this coming year than I did this past year. That's a good point. Um, yeah, they, they were very disappointed. I, I, I still can't believe they, they ended up losing to that, the Clippers team without Kawhi. Um, yeah, I guess maybe I should have more faith in the, in the heat than the jazz at this point. Um, because, yeah, you're right. I, they didn't, like, do anything to get better, um, the Jazz. I mean, they added, like, uh, Jeff Green. Or they didn't add Jeff Green. Who did they add? Um, I'm blanking. Rudy Gay. Rudy Gay. Thank you. Yeah, same, same thing. <laughs> Pretty much the same thing at this point. Yeah. Um, so I, I think I think you're right on that front. Uh, I mean, the thing is, the unfortunate part is, like, Donovan Mitchell has been playing out of his mind in the playoffs. And they just can't, they can't kick over that hump for whatever reason. Yeah, I, I think you're right about Utah, and and you're certainly right about Donovan Mitchell. None of this really falls on him, and I I don't know that I even blame Rudy Gobert. I, I think everybody's kind of aware of what his shortcomings are as a player. It really shouldn't be surprising, you know, if he has some difficulties in the playoffs. That's that's kind of the the way that you decided to construct your team, and obviously it's up to Utah to find ways to mitigate that, and and it's extremely effective in the regular season, um, and they they kind of continue to to run into the same roadblocks. In the playoffs, I, I think they have a very good chance to compete for that number one seed again in the Western Conference. But I, I think a lot of the people that bought in on Utah last year and maybe feel like they got burned, those same people probably aren't buying in. And, and now they're back in that zone where I think kind of where Milwaukee found itself even before this past season, where it's like, all right, we all bought in. We loved you as this regular season team. You know, you've, you've come up short enough times that we, you know, we kind of have to draw the line somewhere. And, and with Utah, I don't know if, if it means like this core finds a way to break through or if it's eventually, you know, whether that's sometime this season, sometimes like next offseason, you know, you end up having to make some sort of move to to try to get yourself to that next level. But but right now, I, I don't think bringing in Rudy Gay accomplishes that. <laughs> it does not. I think they need like one more, you know, like all star caliber sort of guy like their depth isn't good enough to make up for the fact that Donovan Mitchell's like their their main offensive driver. Right. Um you know, well, like when, Royce when, they signed, when they signed Conley, did you think he could be that guy? No, I, I think it, Conley feels like he should be like a third or even fourth kind of like offensive option at this point. Like, I know he can do a lot still, but just given his age, it's just going to it's it just gets harder for him. He's not like Chris Paul. Right. Um, so, yeah, I feel like Conley should be like a third guy instead of a second guy. Yeah, he's in that like Gordon Hayward ish tier for me where it's like if, if he's your third best guy that means you have two really good players ahead of him and you're going to have a really nice team if he's your second best guy uh, especially on offense you know that's 
not necessarily ideal as he gets older. You know, that becomes even more so the case. And, and injuries have, um, you know, ravaged his first two seasons in Utah. But, yeah, I mean, I, I don't remember thinking like, oh, man, they have Mike Conley. Now they're the best team. Like, it, they've always kind of lacked depth, too. You know, I mean, Jordan Clarkson coming off the bench has been huge. You know, the way that, that he's grown and, and, you know, Royce O'Neal becoming a player is, is nice. But it always feels like this is like a six-man team that, you know, has, has like no developed players whatsoever outside of the core rotation and nobody, you know, kind of really coming up the pipeline. Yeah. They, they don't have anyone coming up the pipeline and like Conley is a good, like high floor player, but he's not going to like put up 30 points. I don't think in like a, you know, huge, like Mitchell is there. I think their only player who has like insane kind of like one to two game upside. Right. Like I know Bogdanovich can get hot and he can score a little bit. And again, Conley might be good for like a 20 and 10 game, but you know, aside from like you're hoping Jordan Clarkson gets hot, Ingles is not a scorer. There's just like not a lot. There, like at a certain mm-hmm. point, they don't have enough guys who I think you can just give the ball to, and and have playmake at like a really elite level. I think they're one of several very good teams that have just kind of fallen victim to playing in an era when the best teams have like three Hall of Famers. You know, like <laughs> this, this Jazz roster would like if you if you could transport this Jazz roster to 2007. They're probably playing in the finals, but the, the way that the top end talent in the league has, you know, progressed and I, I think gotten deeper, you know, like I, I think like the 25th best player in the league right now is like way more talented than the 25th best player in the league was 15 or 20 years ago. And, you know, when when Brooklyn has three of the top 10 guys and, and the Lakers, you know, have, I guess, what, two of the top 10 and, and maybe another one who on any given night could be in the top 10. Like, it, it's just really hard to, to get over the hump when you know, you're already a very good team. It's not, it's really nothing against the jazz roster. And, and the same goes for I mean, teams like Denver, teams like the Clippers, uh, Dallas, Portland, to some degree. Uh, there's plenty of teams in the East that fit that as well. It's like, it's hard to really poke holes in, in what you've done. It's like the other teams have just built better rosters. Yeah. I think Utah does have a lot of parallels with the trailblazers at this point. Um, you know, just kind of like uh, Utah's Utah's a little more recent in their kind of like playoff flame outs and, uh, stuff like that. Portland's kind of been longer since they've had Damian Lillard, but yeah, a certain like you know, it, it's tough too when you're in that market. Um, again, they there's those general managers have done a good job of constructing teams with like high floors, but yeah, when when L.A. and New York, when they can just get put super teams together, there's just like nothing you can do aside from you know hoping for injury luck, which is ex- exactly how the Bucks won the title last year was like. Um, injury luck to Brooklyn uh, going down, you know, in that right. in that playoff series. So like, it can happen, and it has happened before. It's just, you know, it's it's tough to keep uh, bumping up against that wall and just hoping that like, either your team goes absolutely, you know, pl- everyone plays out of their mind for an entire series, or the other team is just hurt, mm-hmm. and that feels like the only way you're going to win the title. If there's one thing we appreciate here at Rotowire, it's making good decisions. And even more so, making the right decision. I have an incredible offer for you with Rotowire's newest partner, WinBet, the premier digital casino and sportsbook app. WinBet is now the exclusive sponsor for Rotowire's fantasy podcast. WinBet brings you all the latest action with a user friendly interface, money line bets, boosted parlays, over unders, round robins, live betting, and so much more are at your fingertips. Want a break from sports betting? Head into WinBet's digital casino and take a spin on roulette, double down in blackjack, slam the slots, or try your hand at baccarat. WinBet is currently available in six U.S. states, Colorado, 
Indiana, Michigan, New Jersey, Tennessee, and Virginia, while rapidly expanding nationwide. At WinBet, the possibilities are limitless. WinBet is currently offering all RotoWire listeners a risk-free bet up to $500 on your first wager. All you have to do is download the WinBet app right now. That's WinBet, W-Y-N-N-B-E-T. WinBet, the exclusive partner for RotoWire's fantasy podcast. So what about some of those teams on the borderline? Uh, yeah, I, I think most of them are in the West. You know, it, it's pretty hard to make a case for any team in the East, in my opinion, outside of Philly, Brooklyn, Milwaukee, Miami. I mean, maybe Boston, maybe Atlanta, uh, if you really think those teams can make a jump. But but in the West, I mean, you have Utah, you have Denver. Uh, Denver and the Clippers, to me, are kind of in the same boat. It's, it's just a we'll see. You know, we'll see when Jamal Murray's back. We'll see what he looks like. Same for Kawhi Leonard with the Clippers. If those guys are back earlier than expected – then those teams are, are very much in the mix of, of you know, teams that maybe need an injury break or you know, need some guy to play out of his mind for a series. Um, that guy could be Reggie Jackson. Who knows? Uh, so, so those two teams to me are kind of right there. Dallas and Portland are, are almost on their own tier to me where they, they would need crazy amounts of help. Like you, you would need like everybody to get hurt. Uh, still rosters that you like, still teams that will probably finish 10-plus games over 500, especially if Lillard stays in Portland all year. Um, but at the same time, I, I just I don't think either of those teams made the improvements necessary to to really get to that next step. And I mean, both teams finished 10 games behind Utah in the regular season last year. So if we're saying like we don't believe Utah even has it in them. I mean, these teams were were another step or two below the Jazz last year. Yeah, you have to give that credit to Dallas and Portland just because they have two MVP candidates running the show and yeah. like passable starting lineups. Um you know, Dallas, the Porzingis factor is always going to make it really tough to have any sort of faith in in them just because, like, even as good as Doncic was, and they almost beat the Clippers last season, which is crazy to think about. Um, if Porzingis just isn't healthy for a series, then they're just so quickly out of good options. Um, mm-hmm. There's only so much Doncic can do. And the Trailblazers are, you know, I for the past few years, I've honestly really liked the Trailblazers team. But um, they have like zero depth this season. Like their depth is atrocious. And I know once you're in the playoffs, your depth doesn't matter as much. Um, But right now, like their six man is like Larry Nance. They're going to play a lot of like Nasir Little. Anthony Simons is actually going to like play. Ben McLemore might be a real rotation player for them. Um, They're going to they might have a rough regular season if like anyone suffers an injury. Um, and I just, I just don't think they have the roster ultimately. No, and, and same with Dallas, you know, I, I think having Luca kind of always keeps you in that mix. You know, I, you always think back to like the 07 Cavs who, you know, LeBron just dragged to the finals where, where they were drubbed by San Antonio. And you think like, well, if you have that one guy, like that, that possibility is all, is always out there. But again, this kind of goes back to what I was saying about the jazz roster relative to the rest of the league. I mean, part of the reason that LeBron was able to take that horrific Cavs roster, which is probably even worse than what Luka has around him right now in Dallas, is there was not a there was not a Brooklyn Nets or Milwaukee Bucks, you know, sitting at the top of the conference. So you you had one good team uh, in Detroit that was the best team in the regular season that year, but you know this was also the Pistons like three years removed from winning the title. You know they they were not at their peak at that point. Um, you know Miami was decent. Uh, they they had won the title the previous year. But you also have age 35, Shaq. You know, Washington was decent. That was Gilbert Arenas era. Like, they, they made it through what was a, 
a, a talented East, but nothing close to what we have now in terms of like the stacked teams at the top. Yeah, there are just so many good teams. It's it's kind of unbelievable. And like even the teams yeah. that like we're talking about as um, like fringe contenders or like everything would have to go right contenders. Most of those teams still have like borderline MVP candidates on their yeah. team. Yeah, it's, I mean, we're talking about with Dallas, the guy who's come into the last two seasons now as the MVP favorite. And we're like, yeah, cross him off. No chance to win the title. <laughs> I'm, yes, 100%. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. That, this is literally what's happening. It's it's crazy. Let's let's kind of rewind and go back to the Lori Marketing deal that broke last Friday morning. Um, you, know, you and I kind of talked about it at the time. We wrote it up for the site. We had no idea what was going on with marketing. There were rumors, what, like probably close to a month ago at this point, um, you know, that, that he was maybe on his way to Charlotte. And then those kind of died down out of nowhere. Charlotte ends up bringing in Kelly Oubre, uh, which, you know, especially now in retrospect, essentially killed that chance. And then out of nowhere, marketing signed and traded to the Cleveland Cavaliers. They give him a four year, $67 million contract. Uh, Larry Nance goes to Portland as part of that deal. Derek Jones goes to Chicago along with the first rounder. I, I like this a lot for Portland. I, you yeah. know, for Chicago, it's whatever. You're, you're losing a guy you probably weren't going to pay anyway. You get a pick. I, I don't hate that. Please walk me through why this makes any sense for the Cavaliers, <laughs> who now have $167 million committed to Laurie Markkinen and Jared Allen. I want to at least echo that I think this was an amazing deal for Portland, um, who, again, like I said, has terrible depth and can probably use Larry Nance at three positions probably will use Larry Nance at the repositions um, for the Cavaliers. I don't know this. Uh, I think this is like the, <laughs> you know how you draft for best player available. Like that's a strategy. Like, don't worry about position draft for the best player available. Cavs just decided to do that with free agency instead. Yep. Um, and I think they just, they just wanted to get talent in the door and marketing. Like it's not even really a discount for marketing. Like, it seems like kind of um, higher than what the market was for him. So that's that's kind of tough to, like, evaluate on its own, like the contract. But, yeah, I mean, drafting Evan Mobley and then getting Markin in and, you know, it starts to make, like, if they can trade Kevin Love or buy out Kevin Love or just tell Kevin Love to, like, go home, um, then I think it starts to make a little sense. You know, because you could argue if you're the Cavaliers, be like, well, we're just going to have a three-man uh, front court rotation. Like we're going to play Markinen, Jared Allen and Evan Mobley as powerful work in center. And it's just those three guys. And they each see like 29 minutes or however that shakes right. out. And I, and I think marketing at times could slide down to the three if you have to. Yeah. He could play like five minutes a game at the three or whatever, you know, depending on the other team's lineups. And, um, you know, we may end up seeing him at the three this season. I'm sure they'll have to try to play him at the three this year. If Kevin Love is like available and that's how they start the season. Um, I don't think it's like awful, you know, if they get rid of Kevin Love and you can slot marketing in, um, as a power forward, but until that happens, like until Kevin Love is actually gone, this like really just makes things more complicated and, um, it just, you know, it makes you feel bad for Evan Mobley. Right. We, we kind of went back and forth with some other guys on staff about, you know, how to order this projected depth chart and, it's just impossible with Kevin Love there. Like I, I it, it seems like he at some point is going to get moved, but you know, he came out shortly after this trade and said like, I, I don't want to be bought out. <laughs> so, okay. That, that means you can either be traded, which, you know, he has like arguably the most untradeable contract in the league right now, 
or he's just going to show up and play, which also, I don't, I don't know if that's advantageous for him or for the Cavs. Like, I, I think if, if the Cavs had the option to just cut him with no monetary penalty at all, they would do that in a heartbeat, right? Yeah. Yeah, of yeah. course. And I, I don't know what sticking around in Cleveland really does for Kevin Love other than, you know, trying to establish himself as this, like, you know, lone holdover from the title team. You know, I, I don't know if he's trying to, to go down as like an all-time great Cavalier or something like that. But the way to do that is not playing 25 games a year and showing up to Team USA out of shape and just, you know, like, I mean, he has not been a factor, it feels like, in what, like four years? Like, essentially, since LeBron's last year in Cleveland, it feels like Kevin Love has been perpetually hurt. And I know he did play 56 games in 2019-20. In I have no memory of, of what happened in any of those games. Like, it, <laughs> it just feels like it's always been Kevin Love is, is perpetually either about to get injured or is coming back from an injury. And it's just been a, a really bizarre turn for a guy who, I mean, as of, like, 2014, 2015, 2016, I, I think was absolutely on a Hall of Fame trajectory. And I, I don't really know how we're going to remember him at this point. It, it's been such a dramatic fall off which is interesting because it's not like he had a, you know, it's not like it's been like a Blake Griffin thing where there's been this like degenerative issue with, you know, with one part of his body or, you know, he had this horrific, you know, torn ACL or torn Achilles. It's just been, you know, the the, the buildup of, of so many seemingly minor things over and over. Yeah, he made the All-Star game in 2018, which doesn't seem possible based on like. <laughs> that was, that was when the East was like its absolute weakest. Right. Um, and it's not like he had a bad season, but. Uh, you're right. Like it, at this point to me, anytime I see a story about like Kevin Love not wanting to be bought out or anything like that, it, it's really starting to feel like he's doing this out of spite. And I don't know why, like it, like the, the perception I have it in my head is like, they, he feels like he was tricked into signing this contract and now he's mad about it. And he just wants to get all the money possible and just play out of spite. Um, and just play so so that he gets hurt, so that he doesn't have to play and can just get money to sit at home. And like I'm totally projecting that onto him. Like I have no I have no reason for that. But that's just kind of what it feels like from the outside perspective. And it's like it is so different from the you're like you mentioned the the Blake Griffin saga, which was just like we kind of feel bad for this guy because he was so great and then he was doing uh he was like finally got to run his own team in in uh, Detroit and he was one of the most unique players in the league, like kind of playing small forward slash point guard slash power forward. Um, and then things just ultimately like didn't work out because the timeline of the Pistons and his knees. And he just was like, okay, I'm done. Let's, let's just get right. bought out. I'll get a new start to my career. And for some reason, like Kevin Love is not, is not doing that. And it's, you're right. Tanking his reputation, uh, whether that's fair or not, it is tanking his reputation. And you're right. I don't know how you end up viewing him. And I don't know how his career ends. Um, but yeah, I mean, Pete, Kevin Love, you, you think about like his, you know, when he was in Minnesota, I mean, he was he was a nightly like 25 and 12 with like, you know, he was putting up 20, 20 games. It was like he was he was something to see, even though like the team was winning like 30 games. Yeah, at his peak, I think somebody who probably is not going to be remembered for just how good he was. You know, it's, it's been so long at this point, like when, when you picture Kevin Love in a Timberwolves uniform, it's like a different person. I mean, he's like plus 40 pounds. He has a yeah. shaved head with like the weird, like kind of like riffraff white wrapper, like extremely carved up beard. Um, those, those like horrific Timberwolves jerseys that look like they weighed like a hundred pounds. Like that, that just feels like a, a different lifetime ago for Kevin Love. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. 
Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. You know, if I would have applied myself, I could have gone to the NBA. You think so? Yeah, I think so. But it's just like, it's been done. You know, I didn't want to, I was like, I don't want to be a follower. Hi, I'm Jason Concepcion. And I'm Shea Serrano. And we are back. We have a new podcast from Wondery. It's called Six Trophies. Woo! And it's the f-ing best. Each week, Shea Serrano and I are combing through all the NBA storylines, finding the best, most interesting, most compelling stories, and then handing out six pop culture-themed trophies for six basketball-related activities. Trophies like the Dom- Dominic Toretto, I live my life a quarter mile at a time trophy, which is given to someone who made a short-term decision with no regard for future consequence. Or the Christopher Nolan Tenet trophy, which is given to someone who did something that we didn't understand. Catalina wine mixer trophy. Ooh, the Lauren Hill, you might win some, but you just lost one trophy. And what's more, the NBA playoffs are here, so you want to make Six Trophies your go-to companion podcast through all the craziness. Follow Six Trophies on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. Listen ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus. Going back to the framework of the deal, I'm with you. I mean, I, I I think we, James and I touched on Larry Nance in Portland earlier this week. I think that's going to be a really good fit. It's hard to it's hard to get me like this fired up about like a backup forward, but <laughs> I like he's just been, he's been like really really good when healthy these last couple of years, and it seems like the Cavs are like constantly trying to bring in guys to allow him to only play 21 minutes a night, and he might not see a whole lot more than that in Portland. But I mean, there are very few guys who can legitimately play three spots and, and kind of feel like you're okay defending all three of those spots. And I, I think he's going to be a really good fit, not a piece that pushes Portland into the title conversation, but for a team that's always seemingly struggling to find a seventh, eighth man, I, I think he's probably overqualified for that spot. We should note that the pick that goes from Portland to Chicago, along with Derek Jones is top 14 protected. So lottery protected in 22, 23, 24, 25, 26, 27, and 28. Uh, so, so Portland would have to finish in the lottery for six consecutive years uh, in order for that pick to not convey. And even if that happens, it turns into a 2028 second round pick. So that, that makes me like it for Portland even more. Like there's, there's very low risk. Worst case scenario, you're giving up to 15th pick in one of the next six drafts. Yeah, it's awesome. Like you said, like Larry Nance, great 3 and D guy, can pass a little bit. Um, I actually think like you said, he, he might only play 21 minutes. I think he could play like, I think he could play like 29 minutes a game for this team. Like they really don't have anybody. Like I know they signed Cody Zeller to play backup, but between Yusuf Nurkic and Cody Zeller, like how many games are those guys going to play? Like the injury risk of that alone could yeah. open up time for Nance at center. He can already certainly back up, uh, like <laughs> again, both Robert Covington and Norman Powell at the forward spots. I think there's a world where he sees like 29, even close to 30 minutes a game. Mm-hmm. And people kind of like realize that Larry Nance has been like very, 
very good and like wasting his career on the Cavaliers, yeah. which I feel like if you know everyone who plays fantasy like knows that Larry Nance is good and can put up numbers. Um, but I think now like his actual impact will <laughs> will mean something. So Paul Millsap signs in Brooklyn this morning. Uh, not overly surprising. He was basically deciding between like three contending teams and the Bulls. Uh, the writing I, I think was on the wall that that Brooklyn was going to be the landing spot, which honestly I, I think a pretty good spot for him. I, I think there's a chance that depending how this starting lineup shakes out, um, you know maybe he could work his way into there uh, in certain alignments. I, I don't know how much he has left in the tank. I mean, this is a kind of a blatant ring chasing situation, but I mean, for a guy who's been to a couple Eastern Conference Finals, has been a, a just a really, really rock solid player for like 15 years now. I, I have no problem with this. Like, there's sometimes where you, you see a guy chase a ring, and you're like, all right, like I don't, I don't even know if I want this guy to get a ring. With Millsap, I don't feel that way at all. I, I feel like this is this is well deserved. It feels like he's like been in this phase of his career for a very long time. I agree. Yeah, I think. Um... I mean, the, the Nets might also get LaMarcus Aldridge, too, which is the That's, other big piece of news. Yeah, yeah. That was via Shamsterania this morning. Um, I, I don't know who, like, governs this, if it's through the league or through, you know, an independent doctor. But Aldridge is apparently cleared to return to the NBA, and it appears that he will attempt to do that. Um, I, I I think he is technically a free agent, so it's not like Brooklyn holds his rights necessarily. But, you know, having played five games for them last year, I I, I think they would be the favorite Suddenly Brooklyn like kind of loaded up here. Like Lamarcus Aldridge looked actually like shockingly good in those five games last year. He did, and it sounds like they're going to get rid of DeAndre Jordan. Um, the saga probably officially over. Um, so yeah, I mean they're going to. I don't know, man. Brooklyn, Brooklyn, and LA. It's surprising. I mean, this it's surprising and it's not right. Like when you construct a super team, you shouldn't have depth. Like the the nature of a super team should not allow you to also have depth. But the way the NBA works, it's just like you can get like five or six guys on, you know, like, you know, guy, uh, young guys on like uh, super small contracts and like you veteran guys who will sign for the bare minimum just to like maybe hop on and get a ring. And now Brooklyn's like pretty deep in the in the front court um, and they still have Claxton. They they drafted Dayron Sharp, who might be one of the best like offensive rebounders in the league already, mm-hmm. potentially. Um, so, yeah, I mean, they're they're loading up. This goes back to the NBA collectively allowing them to hold on to Joe Harris and the Harden deal. Inexcusable. Inexcusable. <laughs> I mean, they, they almost got to keep Jared Allen, too. That would have been nuts if they yeah. would have kept Jared Allen. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, I mean, j- just being able to retain a player like Harris is is massive. And, I mean, it, it's hard to get, like, super fired up about Bruce Brown or Patty Mills or DeAndre Bembry or like even like Alizé Johnson, who looked like really good in his like one start last year. Like they they're significantly deeper than most of the other true super teams that we've seen that that literally just have to sign everybody to the veteran minimum other than those three guys. Yeah, I mean, they they, they have both more top end talent and depth than most of like other contending teams. So I, I don't really know how you're supposed to like deal with that. Like, I think that's. You know, I know some people are like nervous about their their win total just in terms of like, well, you know, Kyrie and Durant, will they stay healthy? It's like they have enough depth to kind of weather two of those guys being out on any given. Right. Uh, Depending on who the opponent is. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Let's go through a couple of uh, prompts that will be included in a NBA Futures roundtable that's going to hit the site uh, within these next few days here, uh, depending on how things go. But um I, I asked you and, and several other staff members to dig into 
some of the win total over-unders. Uh, James and I, uh, again, will be doing two podcasts, uh, one on each conference, running through in-depth uh, each over-under uh, sometime in the next few weeks here. But I basically just asked you guys to pick out one that you like. It could be an under or an over. Uh, and, and I was surprised to see you like the OKC Thunder under 23 and a half wins, which I believe is either the lowest or the second lowest. I think Orlando is right in that same area. Um, but, but, but give me the pitch on why OKC will be under 23 and a half. Well, they, I think one more games than they were supposed to last year in terms of point differential, um, Mm -hmm. which is kind of hard to believe. Um, so this is per cleaning the glass, but last year on a per, uh, like on an 82 game season rate based on their point differential, they were supposed to be a 14 win team. Um, so they they were plus eight on that. Yeah. Um, and so <laughs> they, they had the highest win differential in the league compared to their, their point differential. Um, and as much as I love Shakespeare's Alexander, uh, he's not going to save them from being terrible. And, um, I just man, like the, the, the player. So the, the two players on this team who could end up taking the second most just field goal attempts are Lou Dort and Darius Baisley, who both shot under 40% from the field last year. The third candidate for that might be Pokashevsky, who again uh, was just not a good offensive player last year. Um, and their, their roster is just like, it's beyond, I, I think it might be the worst I've ever seen. I, I've probably said this before about other teams, um, but they're, you know, I mean, it's going to be a lot of Kenrich Williams and Josh Giddy is going to play and Roby is like not good at all. Um, so I just, you know, the, the way I generally look at over unders is, um, like, is it more like th- this team goes five games, uh, like over or five games under this number. And for me, like, I don't know how the thunder, I don't know how the thunder win like 29 games. I don't, I don't see how that's possible. And to me, I think it's just more likely that they'd win like 18 games. They definitely overachieved last year. That's for sure. <laughs> um, and, and that's crazy to say about a 22 win team, but they did. I mean, they, they won, I think they won a lot of games that the front office secretly would have preferred that they did not win. And honestly, it came back to hurt them. I mean, they, they should have been clearly one of those teams that, that had the highest odds, um, you know, to, or at least to end up in that top three, and they end up picking six. And part of that is just luck, you know, bad lottery luck. I get that. But, um, you know, I, I think for a team that very clearly, you know, I, I don't think anyone like fans, players, like everybody knew the mandate, right? It's, it's not like this was just a, a team that expected to compete for a playoff spot and things went wrong and all of a sudden they're bad. Like they went into the season trying to be the worst team and ended up finishing with the fourth best or fourth worst record and not having, you know, one of those bottom three slots where, you, you have a chance at the number one pick. So I guess the question is like, as you, you know, as your timeline moves along, like you can't do this forever. You're not going to tank for four straight years. Do they, do they try to be even more aggressive and say, we better finish in the bottom three this time, or do they try to at some point take a step forward and, and actually play SGA and Lou Dort 78 games and, and try to win as many games as they can. My guess is like, you, you kind of have to skirt the line, right? Like I feel like the Sixers are the only team that ever like truly tested it and was like, we are going to go out of our way and blatantly try to lose games. And there was enough brushback that I, I feel like we haven't really seen a team since then really commit to that mandate. Yeah, I think, I mean, and they, they won so few games last year and they, 
and they they still had uh they had Al Horford. They had Al Horford play 28 games. They had George Hill play 14 games. Hamadou Diallo is would be like one of the best players on this team. He's not there anymore. Sfima Hailuk played 30 games for this team. Would be one of the best players on this team. None of those guys are there. They have I mean they have Derek Favors, who I don't. Maybe they'll play him. I'm not really sure. I mean, no that, could easy, that could easily be a Al Horford situation where he just like gets sent home. Yeah. Um, so I, I think this team is definit like definitively worse than they were last year. And like, I think I think the only way they hit this over is if Gilgis Alexander plays 82 games and you know basically puts up All Star numbers, which he he was putting up borderline All Star numbers last year, but he wasn't. You know, he only played 35 games. Um, I also considered the the Magic's under which is 22, mm-hmm. but they were better than OKC last year. And I think they actually, they have better depth than OKC this year. Yeah. Um, and I feel like they might actually, I, I feel like the, the magic actually have like the personnel to play half decent defense, especially if Jonathan Isaac stays healthy. Right. So that, that one, I wasn't as confident in as, as the OKC thunder. Yeah. I, I think you're spot on about Orlando. I, they, they have some injuries, you know, uh, Fultz is going to take a while probably to get, to get back from the torn ACL. We, we're not really sure on Jonathan Isaac. Uh, if he's ready to begin the year, that's huge. I, I, that's, I wouldn't necessarily expect that given the extent of his injury issues, but they're, they're a team that I could see starting like one in 13, but then playing like pretty well once they get their guys back, because even though there's not a lot of talent necessarily on these teams, I mean, like if the whole roster is healthy, you can throw out a Jalen Suggs, Markel Fultz, Chuma Okiki, Jonathan Isaac, Wendell Carter starting five, which yep. that's not going to beat the good teams, but it's going to beat a lot of the bad teams. And and like you said, like at least on paper, that should be a pretty good defensive team. And if they can find enough shooting, which has always been an issue for Orlando, um, it's basically just been like Terrence Ross is shooting all of their threes. If they can get enough shooting around a, a passable defense, like that's enough to at least keep you out of the absolute basement. Yeah, they, they have enough guys to like even... Yeah, they have enough guys to even survive an injury from like one or two players. Um, like right. they're just in a spot. They're in a more like traditional like rebuild rather than like a full on tank. Well, and, and yeah, think- they they have NBA players in their rotation. They're not they're not good <laughs> NBA players, but like OKC is pulling guys out of nowhere. You know, there there is not a uh, a Gabriel Deck or right. you know a Charlie Brown, Josh Hall. Like these guys were playing real minutes for the Thunder last year. Yeah, a hundred percent. And I think I think even the Josh Giddy pick signals that the Thunder are not interested in trying to win anytime soon. Like that to me felt like a very deliberate, hey, we're drafting this guy because he fits what we're trying to do in the future. And we didn't think any of the other options were like true, legitimate superstar upside. We're just going to grab this guy who we just happen to like. Um, But yeah, so I know taking the under on like arguably the worst team in the league is not always like the ideal thing to do, but I feel, I felt pretty confident about it. I mean, there were also some other ones on the board that I liked, you know, Indiana was interesting to me. I, I felt like considering taking their over. Um, so how about you? Were there any teams that stuck out to you? Uh, there, there are a few. I mean, I, I think I'm going to reserve most of my analysis for, for when we, we dive deep with James on that. Um, oh yeah. Good point. But yeah, I mean, there, I, I think, I forget which team I mentioned, um, on the pod with you last week, I, I want to say it was, well, I, for one, I like Chicago under 42 and a half. That one's at minus 110 on either side. Um, I, I don't, I don't feel like that strongly about it, but I, I just feel like the bulls are are like massively positioned to underwhelm this season. And, and I'm kind of surprised like how 
how public of an opinion that seems to have become. Um, I, the Clippers at 45 and a half is interesting. That one's slightly shaded towards the under. Um, that's at minus 115, minus 105 uh, to the over. Again, that's going to depend a, a ton on Kawhi Leonard. Where do you come in on Milwaukee? 54 and a half. Not, not an outrageously high number for a team that has gone for it in the regular season before. Um, has kind of a group of guys who... Uh, in general, are pretty healthy and in general are pretty competitive. You know, not not guys who are looking to sit out games. Obviously, they're coming off the title. Um, wh- which way do you see this going? Is is there kind of a a championship hangover or you know something that happens with we, we've seen with the Warriors and with the Cavs, where after you win it, you kind of start taking it a little easy and and just like really try to make sure you're in peak form for the playoffs. Or does it go the other way and they use the title as momentum and say like let's get back to winning you know 64 games in the regular season. So this number is like pretty spot on just in terms of they were on pace to win 54 games in an 82 game season last year. So uh, this number, I think, is just right. I I don't like this would be a stay away for me in a perfect world. Like I wouldn't even touch this. I I don't even I don't like betting on teams that are like at the very top in theory. However, I do think this team is better than last year's team. Um, Adding George Hill, getting DiVincenzo back. Uh, Grayson Allen underrated pickup. Ojale will be interesting. I, I don't know. Um, I really, I like, I don't know. That's I, fair. I, if, you, if, you, if you don't feel strongly either way, don't. don't I don't. I think, to. so I, I will say this. I think the argument for the under is that they have played so many games in such a short period of time over the past two seasons. You know, yeah. with the pandemic, the bubble, um, winning the title this year. It's just it's so many games, and I think that they would completely be okay with, you know, maybe we can get back to trying to play Giannis like 30 minutes a game and Middleton 29 minutes a game, and like, you know, can we can we just get away with that? Um, that would be my argument for the under. Um, I don't know. The over is just that they they are, um, you know, they are very coherent just in terms of, um, or coherence the wrong word. Um, there's like been no significant roster turnover, right? The chemistry should all be the same. They should have no issues. Mm. You know, they know exactly how to win games at this point together. So maybe they just, they, they get on a good, uh, a good stride and they, you know, the, they keep the momentum up and it goes over. But ultimately, like, I just, I would not touch this just kind of given the, the situation overall. I remember the one that I liked the most. It's New Orleans on okay. the under. 39 and a half. This was a team that was on pace for 35 wins in an 82 game season last year. Zion's going to get better. Maybe Brandon Ingram, you know, takes a step forward after pretty much having an identical season last year to his, to his previous breakout year. But everything else they did, I I feel like made the team worse. I I don't know where the extra four or five wins are coming from to get this over. I agree. I think there's an argument that they make more sense offensively with Devonte Graham and, and Jonas Valanciunas there compared to Lonzo Ball and Steven Adams. But I think they suffer defensively. And again, their depth is like, their depth is as um, up in the air as like any team, just in terms of like, there's, it's it's not very good. There are some guys who like, maybe they could break out. Like Nikhil Alexander-Walker is disturbingly important to this team. Um, like his how well he plays matters a lot for New Orleans. And like Kira Lewis to some extent matters a lot for for how well this team plays. Um, you know, so this is this is definitely another one I wouldn't touch because I do think Zion has the potential to drag a team close to 40 wins. 
Um, but I just think they're just still not well constructed. Their depth is bad. I can I can definitely see taking the under because the way I look at it again, like if I'm thinking five wins under, five wins over, which is more likely. Thinking that this might be a 44 win team, that's <laughs> that would be pretty aggressive for me. Um, right. I think it's a lot more realistic that they'd be like a 35 win team. All right. So earlier this week, James and I talked about first coaches that could be fired. Uh, let's look at the opposite side of that and check out the coach of the year odds on the DraftKings Sportsbook. Steve Nash is the favorite at plus 850, Spolstra plus 950, Billy Donovan 10 to 1, Monty Williams 11 to 1, Steve Kerr 11 to 1, Quinn Snyder 11 to 1, Frank Vogel 13 to 1, Michael Malone 14 to 1, Jason Kidd 14 to 1, Nate McMillan 15 to 1, Ime Udoka 15 to 1, and then Ty Lu at 19 to 1. As always, these odds are pretty close. That there's not a you know emergent favorite uh, this early. Um, you know, obviously the odds will will change as the year goes on, and, and favorites will emerge you know within the first couple of weeks. But one, if if you have any bets that you like, let me know. And two, um, you you know feel free to lay out a narrative for one or two of these guys. Like what what is the path that makes sense uh, for for why one of these guys could emerge as coach of the year? So I have like four that I would like definitely entertain. Um, the longest odds of those is Chauncey Billups for Portland. I think just on the narrative of let's say Portland plays really well. And, um, like if, if they play really well and Lillard ends up wanting to stay and they somehow get like a top, they're somehow like the third or the fourth seed in the West and it looks great. Like then he's going to be in contention because first of all, it would be a massive improvement from a team that had almost no roster turnover and it could ultimately lead to Damian Lillard staying in Portland, which would be like the most impactful thing that's arguably ever happened at the franchise. And uh, he's 30 to one Phillips is, um, I guess I'll, I'll give you my next one, which would be Rick Carlisle. Just another one where, I mean, I think the Pacers were probably the worst coach team in the league last year. I mean, they openly hated their coach. Um, he got fired. And again, they made like very little roster movements. And I think that always helps in the coach of the year argument. Like I know Billy Donovan is like third in the odds, but like they, the Bulls made so many roster changes. It's like, how much can you really, how much credit can you put on Donovan? Um, and again, like Rick Carlisle, we know he's one of the best coaches in the league. So if they, you know, if they play up to my opinion, what is their roster's potential? Cause I love the Pacers roster. Um, then I think he's definitely uh, in the mix at 20 to one. I love the Carlisle call, especially at that number. I mean, it's a guy who has won the award before, but I also feel like it's been long enough. I mean, I think he last won it. I mean, he won in 2001, 2002. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, it's definitely been long enough. Not uh, the same it, league anymore. Yeah, right. Like, this is not an award that you ever win, like, back-to-back. I don't I don't think that that's ever happened, as I'm looking at the list here. Um, I mean, in a lot of ways, it's, like, the most improved player award, right? Where, yeah, you know, you're, it's, it's not necessarily um, – you know, it, it's just kind of like who, who kind of comes out of nowhere, I guess, or defies expectations. Um, and if you win it one year, all of a sudden you have expectations. So you really can't win it the next year. But again, it's been almost 20 years. I, I think the the narrative for Carlisle makes a ton of sense. You know, it's it's a team that, like you said, hated its coach last year, underachieved, um, you know, didn't even make the playoffs. And then, you know, if they come in and win seven or eight more games in the regular season, they're they're the five or the six seed. Um, you know, obviously this award is voted on before the playoffs, but you know, if they win a playoff series, I, I, I think that narrative, you know, because it's Rick Carlisle and it's not like some rookie coach or, you know, some unknown assistant who was promoted, 
I think a lot of the credit would go to Rick Carlisle by default. Deserve it or not, you know, who knows what's going on on the inside. But if that team makes a big jump, he, because he's Rick Carlisle and is a future Hall of Famer, he's going to get a ton of credit. So I'm actually surprised that he's listed at 20 to 1. Yeah, I'd much rather be holding the Rick Carlisle Coach of the Year ticket than the Pacers, like, over 42 yes. and a half wins ticket. Because yeah, I think yeah, that's that's that, that's a great way to put it. Yeah, because if they hit over on that, there's a there's a chance or there's a very good chance that Rick Carlisle is like at least in the top three for this award. Yeah, if they win 49 games, 50 games, you know, who knows if they magically stay healthy. The problem is they have a lot of like injury prone guys on the team. If 50 games gets it done. If they win 50 games, he's winning coach of the year. I think so. Yeah. Um, um, I was going to say the other two names that I just highlighted were Nate McMillan and Michael Malone. Mm-hmm. Um. McMillan, just because we saw what he did last year in the playoffs for the uh, Hawks and just down the stretch. And I don't think like uh, I don't think people are going to count count against him that he like um, wasn't in contention for it last year. I don't don't know exactly how to phrase that, but let's say the Hawks continue what they did last year. You know, they get DeAndre Hunter back. Um, the team plays well. I mean, they still have great depth. They're another team that's like in the potential for 50 games. I think he could win it. Um, and then Michael Malone, just because Jamal Murray's out half the year, at least with a torn ACL. And if they can hover around, you know, that, that those top four spots in the West with Jamal Murray out, um, then you have to give Michael Malone credit just because um, of that. But that might be, in my opinion, the weakest one, just because, I think Jokic just gets too much of the credit for that team. Like he's the MVP. Um, I think he would just get too much of the credit for, for holding them together. His, his numbers would be so ridiculous that I think people would just not even care about Michael Malone. It does feel like both Malone and Quinn Snyder should have won this award already. And and neither of them have. So like, I I do think at some point, like they're kind of next in line, I guess. You know, like if Utah just keeps ripping off, 50 plus win seasons, eventually it's going to go to Snyder. The, the problem is there's, there's always been like one guy with a better narrative than him. Like he always seems like the shoe in at the all-star break and then someone else emerges. Um, and, and that's kind of been the story for Malone as well. One bet I will say I don't like is Monty Williams at 11 to one. Last year was Monty Williams time to win it. And, right. you know, it ended up going to Tibbs. I, I think deservingly so the, the Knicks definitely overachieved. Um, and, and I don't think there were any issues there, but the Suns now have expectations Like they're not going to play dramatically better than they did last year. Like I feel like nine times out of 10, Monty Williams would have won it last year. There just happened to be a, a slightly better narrative with Tibbs. I'm, I'm, I'm with you hundred percent. And last year would, would have been tough for Monty Williams to win it because again, the, the roster addition of Chris Paul, and you can almost put yes. the entire, uh, you know, the, their whole season on, on Chris Paul being there. And that's pretty much what happened. Yeah. It is what happened. Um, how I mean, I I don't really like any of the top four for that for pretty much that reason. Like yeah. how many how many games would the the Nets have to win for Steve Nash to win coach of the year with this roster? Seventy? Well, that's what I was about to say. I mean, if you look at <laughs> like Steve Kerr won it the year that the Warriors won seventy three and were coming off of winning the title. So it, it it's not necessarily a results versus expectations because the Warriors had plenty of expectations coming into that year. But if you win 70 plus, you almost have to get it by default. You know, like if you, it doesn't matter who you are. If you, if you go 17 and 0 in the NFL regular season, you're getting coach of the year. It, you could right. be, you could be Bill Belichick. It could be somebody who you know, you're like, if the, if the Buccaneers go 17 and 0 this year, it's going to Bruce Arians, even though it doesn't fit the traditional coach of the year narrative. 
Um, so I, I, I get why Nash is the favorite, because if we're to believe that the Nets are by far the best team in the league, there is a chance that they do stay pretty healthy and win. Like, I mean, even, even if they win like 68 games, that's probably enough, right? Uh, yeah. Well, especially if they win six, the thing is he might, it might actually benefit if they win 68 games and like Kyrie and Durant combine for like 95 games or something. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like it probably wouldn't happen, but just like the more time that key players miss and the better they do, the more likely Nash is to win it just because of, um, you know, doing more with, with a lesser roster. But yeah, I mean, he's, he's in there if they, if they can win that amount of games, which is funny because Utah, you know, we talked about Quinn Snyder, Utah last season was on a 66 win pace for 82 games, which would have been crazy. Like I know you, it just doesn't hit the same when you look at the number and you see, Oh, they went 52 and 20 compared to like, no, they actually, they, they won 66 games. We're like, really? Um, so yeah. Wait, how, how does the math work on that? I'm, I'm not a math guy at all, but did they only play 10 fewer games? Um, so, well, sorry, that's based off of win point differential. Oh, okay. Okay. Sorry. Not win percentage. They had okay. the, they had six fewer wins than they should have based on yeah. point differential. So oh, okay, they were one okay. of the worst teams in the league in terms of that. Sorry. I should have clarified, but yeah, okay, you, no, you are right. I'm just using a different. Method. Yeah. Yeah. That, I think, yeah, I think win percentage wise, they would have been on pace for about 60, which, yeah. which seems right. But I mean, there were times like they, they kind of cooled off toward the end of the year. I mean, they were on pace for, for much more than that, like around mid season, I mean, the Suns only ended up finishing one game behind Utah, uh, which is crazy. It felt like Utah just had this insurmountable lead for pretty much the entire regular season. Um, I want to finish out with just some discussion of guys, you know, as we as we kind of start to further refine our rankings and, and you know prepare for early season drafts, like guys you're considering in that like 85 to 120 range, you know, you're, you're one of your last few picks. Um, you know, you can take this different directions, you know, maybe in some leagues, depending on who you already have, you want somebody who's a little riskier, a little higher upside. Uh, if you have some riskier guys with your first few picks, maybe you want to go safer at the end just to give yourself a little bit of insurance. But, uh, who, who are guys that you've been finding yourself, you know, intrigued by, uh, as you start to, to look ahead to, you know, planning out these, these late round picks. Uh, the first, I would say three that come to mind. Um, off this list are Jakob Pertl, Isaiah Stewart, or Isaiah, yeah, Isaiah Stewart and Jonathan Isaac. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're kind of at the top of that, that range that you were talking about. Uh, Pertl, just because like his last, I think like 20 ish games, he was like a top 60 fantasy player pretty much once they had gotten rid of all the LaMarcus Aldridge nonsense and he was playing 30 minutes a game. He was like a top 60 guy. And again, like I, I almost feel like I want as many shares of the Spurs as I can because I have no idea how it's going to pan out. And like a couple of these guys have to have a breakout season. Um, Jonathan Isaac, I know we're worried about his injury history, but if you're getting him at pick 90, who cares? Because uh, he was playing out of his mind uh, before getting hurt. I guess that was what, two years ago now? Um, yeah. Trying to look back. He was, so at the, at 20, in 2019 20, in his first 34 games, he was ranked the 34th best fantasy player per game in the NBA. So if you can get him at 90, you got to do it. Um, and then Isaiah Stewart, just because I think it's a little complicated with Kelly Olenek being there on how that's exactly going to shake out. Because are they going to play Jeremy Grant at the three? Uh, but I still think may, if Isaiah Stewart sees 30 minutes a game, I mean, he was one of the best rebounders and shot blockers in the league last year on like a rate basis despite being like six foot eight. Um, 
And so, like, if he can play 30 minutes a game, then he's going to be an awesome fantasy player. Again, like, probably, like, top 60 or something. Yeah, I know we have him projected relatively conservatively at, like, 24 minutes per game, I think. And, and he's still hovering around the top 100, yeah. mostly because of that shot blocking. I mean, he led all rookies in total rebounds and total blocks last season. He 1.3 blocks per game in just 21 minutes. And, you know, a lot of those games, you know, early on, he's just like coming off the bench for eight minutes at the end of the game. Um, it really wasn't until March, April, uh, and even into May that he started playing meaningful minutes. I, like you said, I, I have no idea how the Olenek thing is going to work out. Like as soon as they got rid of Plumley, you know, it was like, all right, awesome. They're, they're just going to hand it over to Isaiah Stewart. And like, no, we're bringing in a new Mason Plumley. <laughs> and I feel like it's going to go the same way, right? Like I, I think there's a pretty good chance that Olenek, you know, plays big minutes early on. Maybe the Pistons look fairly competent. And then halfway through the year, they decide like, wait, why do we sign this guy again? And I, I could kind of see it going the same way where, you know, Stewart is significantly more valuable over the final two months of the season than he is the first three months. Yeah, that's the that's the thing with if you draft Isaiah Stewart, you got probably got to be patient. But yeah, like I was saying, he's he was 17th on the league last year in rebound percentage and eighth in block percentage. Like it's just minutes for him that he right. needs. Yeah, um, absolutely. Um, I, I'll, I'll give you a few of mine. I have Pirtle on my list, and I think I like him even more uh, since there are reports, uh, I, I think, over the weekend or maybe earlier this week that Thaddeus Young could eventually be on the move. He's an expiring deal. Uh, I, at San Antonio, I think, could trade him before the season starts, potentially. Uh, if I were the Spurs, I would not do that just because they have you know extreme lack of depth up front. I, I think he could actually have a huge year for them if he stays in San Antonio. But if, if he does remain there, I think there's a very good chance he's bought out and is probably like the number one or number two guy in the buyout market midseason. Um, so, yeah, maybe you do have to be a little patient. But I, I think Pirtle, assuming he's in that starting role for most, if not all, of the entire season, I think he's going to be a steal because I feel like everybody just decided that he was bad and he's still not, he's still not that good, but he's not like, he's not an exciting player to have on your roster necessarily. You know, he doesn't look like he would be all that good. So I, I, I think there's a pretty good chance that unless you're playing in a really high level league, like you could still get Jakob at a relative discount because I, I don't know if a lot of people were following how good he was over those last 20, 25 games. Yeah, he can pass a little bit. He's a really good shot blocker. His free throw percentage is going to kill you, but he has a good yeah. field goal percentage. Um, yeah, I mean, he's not like an offensive creator or anything like that, but they clearly trust him, and he's a good traditional center. And <laughs> if you can get 30 minutes per game and you're that level of skill in the NBA, like you're just going to be, you're going to have like top 60 upside. Yep. Uh, uh, I, I went Chumo Kiki from Orlando, uh, okay. kind of my, my honorary Isaac spot. I, I think he's a little safer. Maybe he doesn't have the same level of upside, but I, I think he's going to play a ton of minutes, you know, can play multiple positions, should be one of those guys that probably doesn't do anything huge in any one category, but I mean, he could average what, like 13 points, seven rebounds, two and a half assists, one block, one steal, you know, shoot, shoot a good percentage. Like, I, I think he has a chance to be one of those, like, then there aren't really that many anymore in the league of like guys who are like dramatically better in fantasy than they are in real life. Yeah, I think, you know, the only concern you have to have about him is like if Isaac stays healthy and Franz Wagner is good, then yeah. and like they keep Terrence Ross, then Okiki's role gets a little squeezed. But I think you could get him at, you know, we haven't ranked 89th, but I think you could get him like way later than that just because of like lack of name recognition, mm -hmm. all of that. So if you get him with your I, I think you could probably get him with your last pick and then that's like a that'd be a great last pick. Yeah.
Um, I also have Alexander Walker. We've talked about him. Nerlens Noel, I feel like I take with like the 105th pick every single year. And I, I typically don't regret it because he yeah, always right. finds a way to either like stumble into the starting job or still average a block and a steal per game despite playing like eight minutes a game. Um, Ken Birch, I think, is in that same category as Jakob Pertl. He's basically the new Pertl in Toronto, uh, like a guy that is like traditionally like underachieved and just never really been all that relevant but had a really nice run at the end of last season. And the big thing with him is like, it's not even about Burt as much as it is Nick Nurse's like undying will to screw over Chris Boucher when it comes <laughs> to minutes. Like he will do whatever it takes to not play Chris Boucher more than 24 or 25 minutes. And that ultimately benefited Burt a ton last year. It's funny that you bring up those two situations because I feel like you could have just a draft strategy of getting those four centers if you like, if you had to, maybe you're in a two center league, but if you just drafted Mitchell Robinson, Nerlens Noel, Chris Boucher and Kem Burge and just do the do like the handcuff strategy yeah. uh, with, with all of those guys, if you somehow managed to get all four of those guys within the last like four rounds of your draft, um, you'd probably end up with a good second rotation mm. somehow. Um, but yeah, those are, those are situations that are kind of tough to evaluate. But if you get any of those guys in that range, you're going to yeah. feel you have upside. I do like Jalen Suggs quite a bit from Orlando, and, and part of that is Suggs the prospect, Suggs the player, and part of it is the situation that he's in, which is very advantageous. Uh, even if Fultz was healthy, I would still like it, but but that gives him, I think, a, a little bit of a runway early on to establish himself and, and potentially you know see more touches, more minutes than he might when Fultz is back. Uh, but I, I think he has a chance to be this year's version of Halliburton. Uh, as far as guys who I, I wouldn't say come out of nowhere, like people are expecting him to be good, but I, I think he could be even better. Uh, in fantasy that people expect right away. Uh, where where are we at on Kelly Oubre right now? It, it, I, I know he, he didn't really miss that much time last year, but it, it just felt like he got off to such a bad start with the Warriors. Like he missed like every three he took for the first month of the year. And he ended up working his way back to a, a pretty respectable line, averaged like 15 points, six rebounds, ended up getting to a steal per game, just under a block per game, uh, shot it at 31% from three, which is not ideal. But the field goal percentage wasn't that bad, like around his career average, 44%. Um, but nonetheless, it did feel like he kind of lost some momentum coming off of that big year in Phoenix. Like where, where are we at on him now that he's in Charlotte? So for the out, for our fantasy outlook on him, I looked up basically his numbers after he stopped or after he remembered Hagashuga basketball. Um, so from February 4th onward, he was, he ranked hundred and eighth per game on like 17 points a game, six rebounds, that sort of thing. Um, this year it's tough to say, I mean, to me, it feels like he's like a, like he's just like a six man for them. Right. But, uh, a lot of it is going to depend on if James Rego plays a lot of small ball. Cause I don't know what they're going to do with Mason Plumley. Uh, that kind of complicates things just in terms of like, I think PJ Washington should probably just be starting at center and then you can move a miles bridges up to the four. And then you have Hayward in at the, at the three and then Uber has more room to play shooting guard and small forward. I don't know. Uber is kind of a three position guy. He plays on the wing. There is room like we haven't projected for basically 30 minutes a game. There is certainly room for him to hit that just based off of the team not having like a ton of depth. Basically, he could just replace all of the Martin minutes. <laughs> uh, you know, some of it depends on how good book night is. But yeah, I mean, if you draft him, you know, 111th, which is where we have him ranked, I think you're fine. I don't feel like there's a ton of upside just because it right. feels very strange to say this, but the Charlotte Hornets have a decent roster around him. 
<laughs> and like they just, he was kind of in that situation, I guess, with Golden State last year. But there were so many unknowns with Clay not being there, and you know Wiggins arriving. Like, there, like people thought, like, could he be their second best player, possibly? And and again, it felt like he dug himself such a hole early on that he was never fully able to pull himself out of it. But in in Charlotte, I mean, if and when Gordon Hayward gets hurt, I think there's right. a there's going to be like a 20 game span where Oubre is really good. But when this roster is fully healthy and you're going Lamelo, Rozier, Hayward, Washington, Plumlee, you know, I, like like you said, like what, what's the upside there? He's he's definitively the sixth man, and like he might even have to battle Miles Bridges for some minutes. He's he's the sixth or the seventh man. I was I'm glad you brought up the Hayward point because this feels exactly like a hey, if you draft Gorgon Hayward, then you just try to get Kelly Oubre with your last pick because then you you know if it went when. Hayward gets hurt, then you have you still have that production there with Kelly Oubre. So I think that's like a situation where you could definitely handcuff those two. Um and it it would that that would be your kind of best that's the that's the person who should be targeting Oubre is the person who also has Hayward or like maybe Rosier. The last name I had on my list is Gary Trent. Self explanatory. You just need to rack up threes. You know, if you if you didn't accumulate enough of those, you know, with your first like eight picks, yeah, you know, maybe try to get Gary Trent. Um, but really offers virtually nothing else. Uh, do you have anybody else on your list? Um, not not really off the top of my head. I mean, there's always guys, you know, in that like range. Like every year, there's someone that we rank like 150 to 200 that just ends up playing like way better than than expected. Um, <laughs> Lou Dort is kind of intriguing, just because I think the volume is going to be insane for him. Um. Doug McDermott for the same reason. I don't know. What if they play McDermott 34 minutes a game and he takes nine threes a game, you know, um, who knows? I, I hope that doesn't happen, but it's possible. <laughs> it, I mean, you sign him for that much and he's like clearly the starting forward on the team, you know? Right. So, um, and I think, I think there will be some leagues that if they're deep enough, that I'll take, I'll draft Wiseman. Um, yeah. you know, we have him ranked like one ninetieth. He had such a, we, we, we've been over it so many times just in terms of like how bizarre his rookie season was. But especially if you're in a deep league, if you're in a best ball league, I, I think he, I think he's worth a shot. If, if it looks bad in the first month, drop him. Not that big of a deal, but he still interests me. I'm embarrassed how little I thought about James Wiseman in the last like eight months. I, I like when I think about the Warriors, like he's just not even on my radar. Yeah, I, I do think there's a pretty good chance that he at least bounces back and kind of reminds people why he was so highly rated. Like, I, I don't, I don't see this being a true, like massive bust flame out Kwame Brown level, you know, atrocity, but it's just, it's just hard. Like we, we haven't seen this guy play very much basketball at all in the last couple of years. And, you know, now you're integrating two more lottery picks. You're also trying to win the title this year. Um, you know, the, the, the leash with him, it felt like it was long at first and then it gradually shortened before the injury. And I, I don't know that they're going to give him that long of a leash this year, you know, it, especially once Clay comes back, and if, if Clay comes back and looks good, and this team looks like it really could contend or be a dark horse title contender, like Wiseman's going to have to be good because I, I don't think they're just going to be willing to throw away 20 minutes a night, you know, kind of geared at development on the fly. Yeah, I mean, he just doesn't fit with Draymond Green. It's a tough, it's a tough spot. Can I, can I give you a uh, two players? And you say which one you would rather draft with like your last pick in a deep league. Maybe yes, even not even maybe maybe not even a deep league. Would you yes. rather have Killian Hayes or Victor Oladipo? Come on. <laughs> well, I can't put me in a spot like this right away. I I 
It's I I feel like that's tough actually. I I think Killian Hayes. Okay. Killian Hayes. Yeah, because he's too risky. It's it's gotten to that point. You know, it's like this is like four years now of this. Yeah, Hayes Hayes is in a spot where he should see thirty plus minutes a game, and yeah. I know his rookie season was like let's let's not get it. But he was very bad, um, but also very young. You know, very injured. Uh, very in, yeah. He had a hip injury. He came back. They gave him a ton of like they they had him run the offense. He ton of turnovers, but he, he at least got the experience. And then Oladipo, yeah, like maybe he plays twenty five minutes. I think he could maybe he could be a six man of the year type of guy. But your upside, I think, is is relatively low on that roster anyway. Whereas Hayes has tons of upside on on the Pistons roster. All right, I like this game. Let's uh maybe maybe one of our next few pods will each come up with a list of five or six guys and uh, kind of do a would you rather for fantasy. I think I think that's a good idea for a pod. But uh, Alex, we can wrap this one up. Uh, good chat with you as always, man. Uh, very excited that we are. I, I don't have the official count in front of me, but we are we are in the same month now that training camps begin. So somewhere around like what forty five ish days until the regular season opener. I'm excited. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.